<laughs> but anyway, I mean, it's still. I still think even if even if Apple TV is great and they really knock it out of the park, I still think the smartphone is the primary digital device, primary internet device for people for the foreseeable future. I just can't see what it would be replaced with. Hello and welcome to another telecoms.com podcast. I'm joined this week by Ian and by special guest Paula Gilbert, who is the editor of Connecting Africa website. Is that right? It is. If I I called it right. And that is part of our sort of broad stable of telecoms.com light reading and various other ones that I probably get told off for not mentioning. But there we are. If they they want to be mentioned, then come on a pod, isn't it? Exactly. Pretty much. Um, uh, So, yes. So welcome, Paula. Thank you very much. And we are going to talk about, we're going to start by talking about the um, smartphone numbers, the, the global smartphone shipment numbers came out this week, and what relevance that has to certain um, of the big vendors, including Apple. Um, we're then going to have a little chat. Ian wrote an excellent um, bit of more analysis comparing the current sort of telecom situation to the OPEC oil crisis of 1975 or something like that, which I thought 73. Okay, yeah. my bad. Yeah. It was all so, sorted by oh, 75. Jesus Christ, God. I know. Do you remember it? On an amateur, <laughs> you're older than me. You should remember that. Yeah, well, at least two then. I was two. Yes, I, I was two when it happened. I remember. Actually, sometimes you get these things. So people put these things on Twitter, where they obviously fabricate little quotes from their kids to try and make some crude point. Like, you know, my my son, my five year old son, came down the stairs the other day and said, "Oh, why, why?" Are, why is Boris Johnson so horrible or something like right. that? People obviously just make this stuff up. I could make up some two-year-old Scott going, "Daddy, I'm really worried about the OPEC oil crisis. <laughs> I, I think we need to. I think we need to concern ourselves with energy security." <laughs> anyway, so that was yeah. Well, I, I won't mischaracterise your article anymore, but we're going to chat about that. And then, of course, because Paula is expert, certainly compared to me, uh, on the African telecom situation, we'll finish off by chatting about that a little bit. Okay. Oh, yes. And oh, got got a little look from Pierre there. Uh, And if you're watching this on Facebook or YouTube or the site, you can listen to it on iTunes or SoundCloud or countless other um, podcasting platforms and vice versa. Right. So smartphone numbers. So that's every quarter. Um, I wrote these up. Just this is what I used to do in my previous life was track these things obsessively. Um, what basically happened, I'm trying to remember what my headline was. I said something like, uh, Samsung grows, Huawei slows, and Apple flows. I think right. I did. The last, nice. the last one was slightly forced. I was really struggling for another <laughs> O's when it came to Apple. But, you know, yeah. you can't do two and not have a third, can you? You can't then just go Apple yeah. goes to the well, toilet. Well, I, I missed Samsung's figures. I, I was aware of Huawei and Apple, but I wasn't really sure what had happened with Samsung this time. So around. they actually... Who won? You what? Who won? Who, Who won? won? Okay, mm. well, if you let me finish, Pierre, I'll tell you. Um, Stop interrupting. Samsung actually had year-on-year um, quarterly growth for the first time in about a couple of years. Um, so they that means that you know, when you compare quarter and quarter, which obviously you do because of seasonality, yeah. Q4 is always much bigger for everyone, especially Apple. Um, then, uh, yeah, they actually grew. So they did, they had a pretty difficult um, last year. I think a Galaxy S9 was a bit sh- um, and so you didn't sell so many. Presumably the S10's a little bit better. Yeah. Um, and I so that was. I prefer the nine. I yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. You've got one of you. 
So it's not it's not shite in your What's opinion. the difference? It doesn't catch um, fire. So the only thing that's is that, really... Is that what that is? Yeah, it is. Okay. The thing that irritates me at the 10 is the fingerprint reader doesn't work. Oh. For me, at least. I don't know what's wrong with my fingerprints. Have you, but, uh, have you done anything? Because there's one that's on the, the screen. Does it use your face as well? Does it do that? Yeah, you can yeah. use your face. Right. Um, does that work? It does, yeah. Does it but I feel like... It's a bit sinister, I think. It's really weird. I don't want to use my face to yeah. open my phone. And these are not secure. It's not like the... Uh, the iPhone that you know it takes a 3D mapping of your face. You right. could hold a picture of yourself yeah. to the camera and it would unlock. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so it's a 2D, so it's not really 2D thing. Safe, yeah. no. And then mm. the, the the fingerprint scan is an optical one rather than full on biometric. Like is, that, is that better on Apple as well, Pierre? Well, all the S9 has, has that too. So the S9 oh, okay. has it on the back, so you not you can use your finger. <laughs> you can scan it on the back. Which is easier for me. Yeah, yeah that's, um, what, doing that's what I do with screen, this pixel too. Look, I've got little. Yeah, but like on the thing. screen, I just have to like. This is all in the effort work. to reduce the on notch. On the 10. <laughs> all for and, the notch. And we just got another wicket. Anyway. <laughs> anyway just for anyone thing. who's Continue. listening to this, when we put it up on Monday, this is uh, the Thursday, the first day of the Ashes, and I'm tracking the cricket score. While do you think we're the Ashes is more important than the World Cup? Um, what, the cricket World Cup? Yeah. It's different. No, I think that's a bigger thing. But it's it's the it's the really intense rivalry between um, England England and Australia, especially in the area of cricket, even more than rugby. I think. Anyway, bit of a tangent. We we won't get onto uh, African sport, South African sporting success. Well, I mean, we play cricket, so they're good at rugby. (laughs) Good at rugby. Yeah, I mean, not as good as we have our moments. Yeah. Currently, um, cricket, not so much. Let's not talk about the World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you didn't do so well. Was no. um, <clears throat> where was I? Oh, yeah. So, um, okay, so you think the S10... Well, I mean, that's just... Maybe just decent. one thing that irritated me, and then I didn't really want to use the 10 that much. Fair enough. But, I mean, the camera's so what, great. So, did you, did you get hold of it in a reviewing capacity, or did you just get uh, offered an upgrade, or...? Yeah, Samsung gave it to us to review oh, at right. that point, yeah. So, this is, this is the 9 here, yeah? Yeah, this is the 9. Can I have a look? Yeah. Okay, well, I mean, mine was anecdotal. I have, I did actually I review the, thing, the nine. The thing was, I just got the nine when the ten I came see. out, so then maybe I was already convinced. Yeah, but I mean, people's opinions. Well, I just remember more well. more broadly the anecdotal. Just reading like um, the main tech sites reviews seems a bit sort of meh about it. Um, Were there any five G phones included in the shipments? Yeah. Or? Not ex- oh, well, not not explicitly broken out. It's just just top line all shipments. Right. Mm. I mean, they, did they mention it at all? Or? Well, that was one thing in my analysis. No, they didn't. But in my analysis, I said maybe another thing that has benefited um, Samsung is that the S10 is pretty much the flagship 5G phone right That's now. That's the one everybody mm. everybody's making a fuss about, isn't it? Exactly. Sorry. So I it was the one. And there's been a big push for the 10 everywhere. <laughs> mm? The 10, like the the push for it, has been pretty big. So yeah. Well, Samsung's never shy about chucking marketing money around. That's for that's sure. True. Especially as people have been withdrawing the Huawei ones. Yeah, well, that could that could be because, another thing. So that yeah. so that Huawei is currently the number two global smartphone vendor, and I was kind of expecting a decline in their phones because obviously, um, you know, the US doesn't they haven't been shipping to the US anyway. But you know, there's all this aggro, and then there's this stuff to do with Android. Yeah. Um, and we're one. Yeah. And obviously, if if they can't have proper full fat Android on their phones, who's going to buy them? And I wondered if that's going to creep back if people are already. So like if I was going to buy a new smartphone now and I thought there was a yeah. prospect of Android not being supported in six months' time, then so I, when, that when might maybe not do it. when did they get stuck on the entity list? May? Something like that. Yeah. So this is, this is April to June. Yeah, so... so I guess they had the first exactly. half of it and then... I think we'll see more movement yeah. in the next quarter. Yeah. The so there was a that. bit of movement because they've been growing 
at like 20% quarter on quarter and they only grew 8%. So that's why I said slows. Yeah. Their growth right. is just what, definitely slow. actual phone shipments? Huawei's so. smartphone shipments, yeah. yeah. Grew by 8%, but that's the slowest growth for quite a while. Right. So it could be if that trend continues that it'll go into decline in Q3 and Q4. But it still seems to be the bit of the business that really kind of... When you're talking about their numbers. When you're talking about numbers. Yeah, because I think for, for the reason we said, it hasn't really dropped off properly yet. Yeah. Um, the NCU listing, as you say, and all the Android stuff didn't really kick in until halfway through Q2. Yeah. And they've got a lot of momentum. And as I'm sure we might go into a little bit more later, there are plenty of parts of the world that are still pretty keen on Huawei, both in terms of yeah. networking gear and in terms of handsets. Yeah. But it's was, it was interesting looking at, I think for the first time ever in a, in a first half report, they'd actually broken out the revenues from the different business units. So they have their carrier one yeah. that sells networks. It's interesting the how they're getting one. more and more transparent to, to try and more make transparent, a point. But you couldn't compare it with last year's because they didn't do that last year. But what mm. you could do is look at full year results last year and see yeah. what it was as a proportion of that. And I noticed, I think, networks was about half of what they made last year, which right. suggests flat. I mean, I know there's seasonal factors as well, so it's a bit yeah. hard to know, but it suggests it's pretty flat. And then enterprise is quite down, actually. Right. It was quite, it was maybe 30 35 40 percent of what they made last year i think um, right so interesting i wonder why that and, would be yeah well i think Clark, that would be the, the least sensitive to all this that. geopolitical stuff would be the business stuff wouldn't you yeah but robert did sort of wonder if robert clark who's our freelancer in hong kong who, who did the story he was sort of wondering whether the components issues had had some kind of effect on that part of yeah. the business to do with servers that they weren't able to server equipment perhaps they weren't able to um source that's possible. Although when we've when we've spoken about servers, it's been pointed out that no one's giving Lenovo a hard time. Yeah, as a server yeah. vendor. No, they're not. So there's some. When re- we've gone a well, your mate times. Uh, um, Strand consults often on about that, isn't he? John Strand. John Strand. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. He. I, I think. Uh, oh, John's. Uh, hello, John. If you're listening. Um, yeah, I, don't, I, I think John seems to feel fairly suspicious of the business practices of. Lots of Chinese companies, including mm. Huawei, but I think he's also the first to call out if there's hypocrisy in, in terms of like we just had a story. I didn't write it up today, but I noticed it when I was sort of looking for stuff to write about that Cisco's just settled something to do with a bit of moodiness and some security cameras and and all that sort of oh, thing. Right. And I it's just a reminder. I think they're you know I think they're very transparent and and they've settled and it's all. I don't think it caused any aggro, but it's just another reminder that the. You know, it's not just Chinese companies that yeah. can present a security risk. Anyway, we've, yeah. we've, yeah. we've chatted about that before as well. Yeah. Um, so I think what's, you know, if I if I had to make a forecast, I'd say maybe we, we would look at flat growth or even decline um, in year-on-year Huawei smartphone numbers. I, I, as long as this Android thing, as long as that cloud hangs well, over they, they, they sort of rang a few alarms about it as well, didn't they, in the press conference? I mean, they kind of made some statements that were quite... I mean, I don't want to say panicky, but it was, you know, things are not, you know, we don't, I mean, what's that thing they're developing themselves? Hongmeng, is it or something? What, their own OS? Yeah. yeah. And they said that's not that. ready and, and this Android issue is quite serious unless it gets resolved. I so think for they, consumers, it's like the biggest worry and it's the thing yeah. that's going to make people not want to get a Huawei phone. Yeah. Because the App Store, you know, if you can't get all of the normal yeah. things yeah. that you want, why would you get that phone if you can't use Google totally. Maps? Exactly, Obviously, yeah. it doesn't matter for China because Google's banned anyway, but for the rest of the world. A great, um, illust- a, great, sorry, but a great illustration of how not having proper Android is disastrous. Is for you. Do you remember when um, Amazon tried to launch its own premium smartphone called the Fire Phone? Yes. 
and and the specs sounds like an ominous name to begin with. Like, did they think Fire <laughs> yeah. was a good <laughs> well, one I, to I think, go with? I think they, I think that was launched before Samsung's Note started We're blowing up in people's fire, pockets. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, in hindsight, uh, uh, an interesting choice. And uh, and it was fully specced, all the latest you know, good cameras, good chips, good screens, good everything. But it had this forked version of Android, much as the you know you can get Amazon uh, Fire um, Tablet. tablets. Mm. And they sell all right as sort of entry-level tablets. And again, it's forked, but it, people aren't so bothered. And, and Amazon's just sending it, basically selling them as loss leaders to try and get people to buy more stuff from Amazon. But this thing absolutely failed, and I knew it would because they launched it not long after I stopped being a smartphone analyst. Mm. And I'd been tracking all these. This was back when the operating system duopoly uh, wasn't as clear-cut as it is now. We still had Microsoft... Symbian, did you have that then? Well, so Symbian was in decline. So this is basically Symbian went into massive decline as soon as the iPhone and Android came along, which is about 07, 08. Yeah. But prior to that, Symbian was completely dominant. And I remember I reviewed a Symbian phone at the time and concluded that that it was fine until you use an Android or an iPhone. And then it Yeah. Um, Things just moved on. You know, the the touch OS, all that sort of thing were were just much better and, and the app stores. But we still had we still had BlackBerry, we still had uh, Microsoft efforts. We had things like Tizen and we had WebOS, the Palm thing. We, we, we basically had quite a few, and we were doing all these. I used to have to do this incredibly detailed forecast, where it was by by country, by quarter, and by smartphone OS. So the spreadsheet was enormous. How do you get all that data? Do you just go around phoning people up and? Well. Yeah, some of it. I mean, I don't want to. Well, in case, in case any of my old now, colleagues, yeah, in case any of my old colleagues Scott, from strategy podcast, analytics are listening, I don't want to give too many trade <laughs> secrets away. But I can say there's a degree of conjecture. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I genuinely think that analysts is another tangent. I think a lot of what analysts do. Obviously, analysts do have intelligence. They do chat to people. I still use strategy analytics numbers for the for the smartphone because I remember when we were there, we'd be one of the few. Um, uh, analyst firms that were actually chatting to people like Samsung who don't publish their numbers. Um, but So there is intelligence, but yeah, yeah, I think on top of the intelligence, what analysts are, they're basically paid to be better guessers yeah. than everyone else. Yeah. So, you know, so you, you might use an analyst firm partly as a, as a sort of um, sanity check mechanism. You're like, okay, we reckon this. Let's check in with these third parties whose day job it is to reckon stuff. Yeah. And obviously, you know, if we had someone from SA and if we had my old boss from SA and he'd be going, Scott's talking shit, all this is nailed down and that's absolutely fine. But yes, obviously, no, there's not like this repository of every single hard data point yeah. just sitting there. Yeah, yeah. So of course there's got to be some conjecture. And what's the overall take at the moment on the market? Um, was there something from Canalysis this week that I saw or did I imagine that? Did they not do? Uh, so SA came out with some of. stuff, um, right. Counterpoint. Counterpoint. Which is uh, run by a couple of people who used to be on my team at SA. Right. Um, Tom and Neil. Um, they went off and started up their own thing. Well, Tom started it up. Um, and there's Canalis, not Canalysis. Canalis, Canalis. okay. Yeah. Right. Apologies. Yeah, it's Canalis. Canalis. I think IDC. I mean, it's that time. <laughs> of year. As soon as Apple comes out with its numbers, normally everyone then just yeah. publishes their stuff. Canalysis is what happens when Canalis merges with Analysis Mason. There we go. <laughs> yes. Or is that what you're predicting? That's what, yeah. Or it's it's a or it's a very specific um, subset of analysis where you just look at canals. All that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bad dad joke there. <laughs> um, Sounds like a Valerian name. Valerian. Yeah. 
You're not. Yeah, you, have you started Game watching Thrones. Game of Thrones from the start again? No. <laughs> we had uh, Paula. We had uh, Pierre just binge watched Game of Thrones like all, all, all seven series. seasons. And it was eight, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And then he had nothing else in his head, and that's exactly. What he yeah. And as you can see, he's still making, frankly, <laughs> unsupported Game of Thrones links. Um, uh, where were we? Yeah. So the the overall market's in decline, in slow decline, has been for about a year or so. Um, and actually, that brings me on to the to the Apple thing. So they have their year on year shipments have declined quite steadily. Yeah. Um, for about a year or so. Well, they've stopped uh, reporting actual shipment numbers, haven't well, they? Well, that was which was a bit suspicious yeah. to start with, because you know what have they got to hide. They just show revenues from exactly, from and, and so uh, again, I don't know to what extent. Um, people like my former colleagues at SA will will actually ring up Apple and go, "Come on, yeah. tell us," or whether they're having to do some sort of clever maths yeah. to work it all out. Well, I suppose they can, yeah, look at the ASPs, can't they? And yeah, you can look at you can look at ASPs, you can look at revenue proportion, and then you can extrapolate. You know, if you if you track what revenue proportion used to be when you had the hard numbers, yeah. you can extrapolate that ratio. There's all sorts of bits of God. This is giving me non flashbacks to my old job. There's all sorts of spreadsheet mucking about you can do. Um, all that maths comes in handy, yeah? All, all yeah, well, it's more spreadsheety stuff. I don't, you don't need to be amazingly good at maths, but no. you, if you're pretty handy at Excel, that definitely yeah. helps. Uh, and there are some people there who've forgotten more than I'll ever know about Excel. Way's probably much better yeah. at Excel than I am. Um, and uh, so they've been, yeah, they've been in, in steady decline. And I think one of the big reasons is, um, what is the, what's the word they use? The, the amount of time... The upgrade cycle. Yeah. So typically, we've, like, sort of before the smartphone era, the upgrade cycle was about a year to 18 months. And in the smartphone, in the modern smartphone era, it's been about two years because that's typically been the length of contracts. I don't know if it's mm. the same as South Africa. Yeah. Um, so people, people typically upgrade um, when they get a new contract. Yeah. But I think people more and more, like I did, um, they're just going, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sweat the asset a little bit more. Um, the problem is that Apple's phones—they make two good phones, so yeah, exactly. They can, they can I last mean, they're still for four years. Yeah. They're still perfectly um, decent, and the new ones yeah. don't have anything new in them, really. Yeah. So what's the point? Unless you well. pay all their money. Unless so, you're Pierre, who loves everything they do and buys phones. As as but there are out. people like that, right? I went right? from the six to the ten, and I still have the ten. He's still, still got an X. Oh, okay, sorry. Yeah. He's got an X. But do you think they're losing a bit of that shine, like the people who were, you know, they wanted the new one every time it came out? I think um, so. I think so because I don't think there's enough the innovation, innovation in the. But I don't think it's just an Apple issue. I think it's a device no. issue. Them, yeah. I mean, I, I exaggerated this. I know in my story a bit it was a bit silly about the end you're of the. You're wondering what I'm going to hassle you about in your I, story. I, I, aren't you're going to hassle me about it. Uh, but, uh, um, just yeah, just I said when, when I was chatting with uh, Ian and Paul before this, I said I, I might I might pick apart some of Ian's uh, rationale. I'll get to that in a second. It's, it's no big deal, mate. Don't worry. Calm down. You can pick it apart. That's um, okay. <laughs> No, well, I'm, I'm going to come on to it, actually, um, because it's an interesting point. So, yeah, so the, the refresh cycle is getting lengthened. And, and I think you're right. I think it's partly because the phone's still perfectly decent after three years. And part of it is there's no compelling reason to upgrade. There isn't a new feature set that's just making people rush to shops and drop a ground on a new phone. Um, Especially now that you can replace the battery for, for what, 40, 30 pounds? Right. Can you? Yeah. 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 Three the main thing that's... Crap! After three years of the battery. Yeah. Well, the, I mean, that's the thing that always dies yeah. first. Sorry. Sorry. 
I think it's interesting as well that with 5G, some of the operators of, well, certainly Vodafone, which is quite a significant player, obviously, in Europe, has made a big push on SIM-only plans with its yeah. with its 5G tariffs. And, yeah, and, and the secondary and the, market, I mean, the second-hand phone market. Phone first of all. But, yeah. Especially if I, um, or 5G, you need a 5G <laughs> but phone. You, but they've introduced these, you know, these all-you-can-eat, you know, uh, 30 I think it's thirty pounds a month in the UK. Yeah, um, and that's just the SIM only sort of plan. So, yeah, or you, you can spend twenty. You can spend twenty quid and get about ten gig a month, which is roughly what I do. And and yeah. you know, I, I never use that up. Yeah. So yeah, there's lots of reasons to go SIM only, and and the second hand market's pretty good. And Apple's actually contributed to that. We've now got quite a formal sort of uh, Apple approved second hand iPhone thing. Yeah. So they're kind of contributing to that themselves, but that's probably quite sensible because it's in there sort of it's, if it's going to happen anyway, we might as well have a piece of the action. It's Seems greener. to be the logic. Hmm? It's greener as well. Yeah. Yeah, well, quite. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, no one cares uh, about that. Yeah, come on. <laughs> yeah, all right. Hippie <laughs> boy. Yeah. Um but you know, that brings me on to the point I want to make about your your analysis of Apple. So you um and and I made this point and a few other people did noted that in terms of revenues, this is the first quarter that Apple's uh, iPhone revenues didn't constitute the majority mm. of all their revenues. Yeah, and and I think everyone's quite right to point that to point that out as a sort of inflection point. Um, but the only point I will make about that is the service revenues, which is what's really growing for them, yeah. and which is a priority, I think, are totally dependent on the install base of iPhones. Yeah, yeah. So what it can't do, and I'm not saying you necessarily said this, um, but what Apple couldn't do is just pivot entirely to in favor of services. It's still completely reliant on there being a big install base yeah. of principally iPhones, I would say, obviously iPads as well. Although I think that's changing with the TV move. Well, we'll see. I mean, they haven't got any install base, really. No, on TV but that's, right now, that's kind of where they're counting on a lot of the growth coming from in the services Are business. They? Yeah, a lot of people have Apple TV. More yeah. than you think. Yeah, I guess it's, so. It's that's that's that, that TV pushes where they're where they're kind of, and that's that's a sort of disaggregated model. So yeah, you can get you can get okay. it on your Samsung right. TV. No, I, I will. No, I, no, I think I'll concede, as as Pierre rather bluntly pointed out, that I might not be a complete expert on the matter of Apple TV. So uh, yeah, I'll just shut up on that one. <laughs> no, I don't know either. Right, Pierre, are you happy I now? Think, I don't think you're wrong. You're supposed to be that. facilitating I, this I podcast. think none of us is right, <laughs> to put it this way. Yeah, um, yeah the smartphone's dead. But yeah, but, so, <laughs> but anyway, I mean, it's still. I still think, even if even if Apple TV is great and they really knock it out of the park, I still think the smartphone is the primary digital device, primary internet device for people for the foreseeable future. I just can't see what it would be replaced with. Well, it's what we carry about, around with us the whole time. Did you hear about the, I think we talked about this, the Netflix plan to introduce $3 a month subscriptions in India? Yeah. Well, you Only were, on mobile devices? Yeah. Yeah. But then I, I thought, oh, that's really cheap. But then I realized, guess how much is Amazon Prime for the whole year? Oh, yeah. you your credit? No, no. no in, in India. India. Oh, Oh, I don't have to guess because you told me. $15. <laughs> $15. So then, how many, you know, that's $1 or something a month. And they're, and then Netflix is trying to get $3 out of them. Netflix mm. is going up here as well. They're putting the prices up. Yeah, by one pound, yeah. Mm. Yeah, well, India's a really interesting growth market. There was one other thing. Um, the, the guys at CounterPoint um, mentioned this other vendor called uh, Realme, I think. And they've gone from almost no shipments last year to about 5 million. They've gone from 0 to 60, and they seem to be a sort of classic 
uh, sort of Chinese Shenzhen um, type of vendor. In fact, they're loosely owned by the same company that owns OnePlus and owns Oppo. Right. Um, but what they did come out of nowhere. Oppo, maybe they haven't, but I've never been aware well, they, of them until they were the last around in, years. They were around, so. They've been around in, in China for a little while. Right. But yeah, these, you know, China's such I a mean, massive market. They're sponsoring that you can go from Garros North to and everything now. Oppo. Yeah, yeah. Their names, their names, all over the place at sports events. No, and, I've, I've yeah, noticed yeah. that. Yeah, no, and certainly when I back when I was at SA, they were just some random obscure little, and I just didn't really care about. Them. I figured that they were just a Chinese brand, and yeah. there wasn't any international relevance. That's obviously changed. But then that was the same Xiaomi at that time. Yeah. Yeah, they were international. Um, show me the money. Show me the money. <laughs> One of this my better not, headlines. This is not going to go away, is it? <laughs> <laughs> we got to think of an Oppo headline. Uh, well, anyway, we'll Something, come back to that. Yeah. I'll leave that with you, Ian. Right. You can be VP of Oppo headlines. <laughs> uh, Vivo, which is really big in China, I don't think is doing anything very international. Yeah. But this um, Realme and like OnePlus is is quite popular over here, like in Western, Western markets. Realme is focused on India. Now, India, they have sort of per capita disposable income actually considerably lower than China, I think. Um, so you've really got to position something. If you want any kind of mass market, it's got to be pretty cheap. But I think just like in China, I remember when we used to try and forecast the Chinese market, we didn't, we didn't figure it would be as big as it, as it would be because it's got to something like close to 100% smartphone penetration. There was always an assumption that it would be this sort of this sort of uh, agricultural hinterland of skint Chinese that would never be able to afford a smartphone or mm. anything. But people find a way when it's that desirable and that important a piece of kit, people just find the money. And that seems to be happening in India. But again, at a lower level, you're not going to charge a grand pounds in India and, and get many mm. people. But a lot of these Chinese um, smartphone makers are really good at making what I call sub-premium. So OnePlus is a good example of that. Something that has largely that has 90 to 95% the feature set of a total premium phone, but costs about two thirds or a half. Yeah. Um, and that's what seems to be working for this for this um, brand, um, Realme wow. in India. So yeah, that's interesting. And, and just, um, just to finish off on that Apple thing, yeah, I just thought that was the point I want to make. I mean, I think it is interesting how they're having to redefine themselves. I think their numbers are still pretty good, aren't they? They were up 1%, I think, sales. Yeah. Um, and, and Apple's think, just always got scary numbers anyway. I mean, one, one other bit that did quite well, I noticed, was the wearables home accessories bit, which I think probably had one of its best quarters. Right. It was up about 48 Yeah, I've heard that those little in-ear, yeah, they, yeah. they've been a real hit. Yeah. Oh, the AirPods, yeah. Yeah, AirPods, AirPods. Were, that was like massive them. growth. You don't like them? Why the, not? Because they, they just sound slightly better than the yeah, one that comes with the hanging out of your ear now. No, no, sound-wise, these are better. <laughs> No, they're, yeah. they're just, there's no seal. I hate when, you know, uh, okay. there's no base, nothing. I don't know. To, to me, I don't, I don't like we, them. The, the connection thing is amazing. Like, you open them and they connect Im instantly, you know. Yeah. That's amazing. Right. But the sound quality is not there for No, me. but the appeal of those little Bluetooth headphones, obviously, no, no wires and all that. Yeah. It's good for, they're good for running. Quite. Yeah, I, I'll have to take your word for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just showing off, skinny boy. <laughs> Um, right, we better move it along because we, we've been banging on the first one. We've got two other things to chat about. Ian. We've taken up loads of time, haven't we? We have, so I'm moving it along. Right. Ian, what was your piece that you just published talking about oil and phones? Yeah, well, it's sort of drawing a parallel between... So if you go back to the 1970s, um, OPEC was the, the kind of dominant force, I guess, in terms of oil production. Um, yeah. 
organization of petroleum exporting countries and there was a lot of concern about um being reliant on a fairly small group of, of countries that had the mm. power to kind of block shipments or and who up have prices some, and which the, and which they did in, in 1973 and they got some they, ideas that don't necessarily entirely e- coincide exactly with so the western world so you have what happened in 1973 was um that was all about OPEC, Israel, wasn't it? yeah opec decided that um it would impose an oil embargo on on countries that it saw as sort of sympathetic to israel yeah. And, and it, it triggered a, a, a kind of crisis in the energy industry, it had a huge spike in oil prices. Yeah. But it also really kind of changed the industry. I think there's a really good book by a guy called Daniel Yeltsin called The Prize about the history of the oil industry. Okay. And and he kind of sees 1973 as a kind of beginning of the, the kind of big shakeup that happened where you had this idea of energy security becoming yeah. really important to countries. So, you know, the US decided it didn't want to be entirely dependent, for instance, on oil reserves in Iraq yeah. or wherever it might be. And then you have this kind of diversification push. So things like shale oil and everything have come out of that. And it kind of really shook up and changed the energy industry. And Yeah, and, the piece and more I, vigorous prospecting in other places like exactly. Venezuela or whatever. So so I was sort of drawing a parallel between that and what we see going on now in, in telecom, where you've got, you know, if you go back... 15, 20 years, there used to be quite a lot of competition on the vendor side of the market. You had companies like Lucent, Alcatel, Nortel Networks. Um, I think at one stage, there's sort of eight or 10 kit suppliers selling mobile infrastructure. Yeah. And through the years, that's kind of consolidated down to just three big co- companies, basically, which is Ericsson and Nokia in Europe, and then Huawei in China. And you add in the fact that there's now all this concern about a little bit of ZT, a little bit of Samsung. But to be honest, they're kind of subscale players. They're not really active in a lot of markets. They're sort of picking and choosing. I'm sure ZT would beg to differ. Yeah, well, they might. But uh, (laughs) yeah. Um, And then then you throw into the mix, you've got all this concern now all of a sudden about Huawei. And there's a backlash against them. There's concern about Chinese spying and, you know, whether they're... All that stuff. Whether they're a good actor on the on the world stage and the sort of efforts to try and get them banned and if that happens and and it has kind of happened in a couple of markets so i think australia's actually imposed a yep. an official ban in certainly US. for the 5g network they have you're really yeah. down to a couple of big companies and it's triggered this i mean the, the expression's been mentioned a few times telecom security not in the sense yeah. of making sure that spyware doesn't get into the networks but, but just, just making sure you have it. a diverse yeah. array of supplies because if something were to happen to ericsson or nokia you know, and if they're the only two companies that you're buying from, then you're really kind of you're you're almost sort of at the mercy of these of these enormous kit vendors for something yeah. that's extremely important. And I think it's become more important with five G because everybody's saying five G could be the. I mean, we don't know really, but everybody's kind of pinning their hopes on five G as being this sort of big spur to productivity. And the stuff we've just been talking about having faster phone connections is all very well, but there's a hope that in years to come it will be. A lot more than that would be something that is used in industrial automation. It might power yeah. self-driving cars. It could be used in defense systems. Yeah, so you don't really want IoT something stuff. that's that yeah. critical being dependent on a handful of big companies. And you, you hear people like... So I tuned in when um, the UK government had its, its sort of big update on the supply chain review. And they basically And they basically it kicked the it down the road. Yeah. They don't really know what to do. But it was very interesting listening to Jeremy Wright, who's no longer the digital no, secretary. Well, there's, but there's you've a fairly big cull of the cabinet. Yeah, he got it? asked by um, another MP, I can't remember who it was, you know, we don't really have diversification in the market, do we? We've got Ericsson, Nokia, Huawei, 
I think there might have been a reference to the fact that you know the UK used to have its own vendor on a kit vendor in the form of Marconi. If you go back years ago, right, which eventually got bought by Ericsson. Yeah, and he made this Italian comment name, that though. there has to be a long term goal to actually introduce more diversification into the market. And you've also seen Ofcom recently make moves like um, trying to carve out some spectrum that they would not sell to the operators, not license to the operators, actually provide it to companies and right. small organisations that want to build local. Uh, local 5G networks, you might just have a factory or campus network. And Mansour Hanif, who's the CTO, was talking at one of one of Informer's events recently. Actually, and said one of the reasons for doing that is it might spur it might spur network innovation. You know, operators have been quite yeah. reluctant to go and buy from startups. Trying to get that ecosystem going has been difficult because they're used to working with the big. And I think I don't know if it's you that's written about it or we've discussed it on the pod. I seem to remember us talking about something to do with the sort of procurement process. By operators is incredibly yeah sort of that's probably drawn yeah, out yeah maybe Jamie's uh, written something yeah and 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 that's that also creates a very high barrier to entry for yeah. startups yeah um, so I, I think the the piece is really looking at, at, the, the, at those yeah. sort of trends and, and thinking about what that means for the kit vendors and the way the market develops and I think if you look at some of the other interesting things that are going on at the moment so. You know this this move by Ofcom to try and get more startups into the market. You know we've had for years now talk about more openness in networks and using technologies like virtualization to try and you know spur some innovation in that space. And there is there is there is a sign of, of things kind of happening there with this um, group called the Open RAN Alliance, right? Which I think is quite significant because it's actually something that big operators are behind. If you look at you know I think AT and T, Verizon, NTT, Docomo in Japan, all the big sort of international players are behind this this organization whose purpose is to try and bring new technologies uh, into the market and to try and sort yeah. of shift away a little bit from yeah and that's where your, that's where your analogy with the with the OPEC thing rings true and you know presumably we look back on it historically and OPEC kind of shot themselves in the foot by forcing the rest of the world to diversify away from them yeah and you're kind of saying that the, that the rest of the world is being forced to diversify by the fact that through a combination of sort of um, M&A yeah. and, and all this geopolitical Yeah, there's bullshit. not been the same kind of trigger in the yeah. sense of someone coming along and slapping an embargo but we're on. Still but getting the parallels, this, this sort of dependence on this, for a very, very mm. important industry, dependence on a very small kind of club, I guess. Uh, instead of a group of nations that produce oil in this case, it's a, yeah. it's a small number of companies that produce 5G gear, basically. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's pushing governments and and operators themselves to try and look for alternative suppliers. Um, so who knows how it's going to play out? I mean, it's well, it's got to be that startup thing. It, it, what's what's really hard to imagine is someone breaking into it. These are such large and well-established companies. Yeah. But then Huawei managed it twenty years ago. Yeah. Even if we discount and some think, of the shortcuts it might have taken to get there. Yeah. I think the other problem that you have is that startups, network startups, have always had trouble attracting interest from venture capital funds. Right. Um, that's always been a kind of barrier to because it's so capital intensive. Because it's capital intensive, and the returns haven't been seen as you yeah know, as, as good as they're not sexy companies compared to the the kind of you know the dot com firms in in California that generate lots of excitement. So they've never had that kind of VC community around them. That and you do get now um, some of the operators themselves trying to channel money into these groups. So there's a there's a 
a company in Japan called Rakuten, yeah. which I don't know if that's how it's pronounced, but mm-hmm. we'll, they're like we'll an e- they're an e-commerce player, but they're building a network from scratch. And, and they're just starting at 4G. They're, sta- they're, they're starting with 4G and 5G, basically, yeah. and they're building this this network, a fourth network in Japan, completely from scratch. And whenever they go and present it at an in- industry conference, the room's packed because yeah. everybody wants to hear how they do it. And they're all it. doing the latest sort of virtualization. Yeah, and all the companies they're using, they are using some traditional kit vendors, so Nokia plays a role in that, but they have companies like Mavenir and Altio Star. Which are, I mean, Mavenir is not a startup; it's a more of a sort of mid-sized company. But Altia Star is a company that they've actually they've actually pumped funding into Altia Star, so they're right. they're kind of supporting one of the that vendors really, building right? their network. I think I think they're based in the US, but oh. yeah, I think so. Don't yeah. know. So good guess, mate. But I'll have a look. If, if they're, if <laughs> yeah, they're based Google in it. if they're based in Israel, I need to change my article. <laughs> <laughs> Could get awkward. Um, okay. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, and that's what moves me on to your beat, Paula. Yep. Um, obviously, the the same. You know, this is a global thing. This sort of mainly sort of three, three big kit vendors, a couple of other fairly big ones. But you know, I know in Africa in general, I know I'm pretty sure. I'm not going to say I know because I'm going to defer to your expertise on this. But the the Chinese vendors are don't don't seem to suffer those same kind of restrictions as we're getting in, for example, the UK. And they're pretty prominent, is that correct? Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess Africa in general has always had a pretty close relationship with China. Um, and so Huawei, I think across the continent, it's something like 70% of um, networking is Huawei. Wow. Yeah. That's um, massive. 70%. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. what an analyst told me the other day. And, there, and a lot of the rest, I imagine, is ZTE is quite strong there, isn't it? Or ZTE is, it not is as much? fairly, um, well, coming in recent years, obviously Nokia and Ericsson yeah. are also yeah. around. I think Nokia is maybe a bit stronger, but I'm not sure. Um, and a, a lot of the operators, well, in South Africa at least, use different, all the vendors, you know, because it's that, that thing. They don't want to be stuck yeah. with just one. Yeah. But a lot of them are, you know, print have a bigger dependence on, on Huawei. I think Telcom has a lot right. of Huawei equipment in South Africa. And MTN's also quite, um, has quite a lot. Um, so yeah, but across the continent, they're pretty embedded and Africa's not as concerned no. with Huawei and security issues. So you're I telling me that the, the, <coughs> the South African Prime Minister, was it, was sounding President. fairly defiant president on, on that remind yeah he went a bit rogue a few weeks ago um, and okay. he made a speech at a fourth industrial revolution conference um and where he called america jealous of huawei okay and Damn. um said that they were a victim in the this political um sort of fight yes. between china and and america which is um, a fairly reasonable thing to say but not, yeah, that com- not that common for a politician to say that publicly no um, to stay i mean and a few Yanks. people said they thought he was maybe a bit um drunk <laughs> power, no. Um, <laughs> yeah, that <clears throat> probably wasn't the best thing to do. But right. then Kenya a few weeks ago, also the, the ICT minister, uh, wasn't quite so strong as that, but said, you know, we're not going to have decisions made in the US and then we have yeah. to follow. We're going to make our own decisions about this, which I think is pretty much what but, yeah. Africa, I mean, in general, African leaders don't ever want to listen to the West well, they, and this, be told what to do. No. It um, shows what a geopolitical issue it's become, though, doesn't it, really, with... You yeah, know, that actual the people politicians are having, getting involved yeah. in this. Yeah. And so interestingly, in South Africa, also Ramaphosa, um, so Ramaphosa, the president, was also speaking about the four big operators sent him a letter in South Africa and basically said, "You need to step in because this is going to be a big problem for us if Huawei is banned 
mm. um, and it's going to be a problem for the economy. Right. Um, and so he was sort of referencing that. So maybe that. that's him sort of signalling to them that he's got their back. Yeah, I think maybe to some extent, mm. um, but maybe he was a little bit overzealous. And this is why yeah. they don't want to, it's the same thing here. You know, the UK operators don't want Huawei banned because they've used them quite heavily for building out their radio access networks. So yeah. if you do ban them, then you've all of a sudden got to go and replace equipment. And, and, they, and they don't want to have their choice down. restricted. They don't want to have their choice restricted. Yeah. I mean, especially in a market like Africa, I'm guessing, they've always been regarded as a kind of cost leader. And yeah. in, a, in an economy where... There's a lot of low-income communities and ARPUs, I'm imagining, are a lot less in some parts of yeah, the country. You really sure. need to have a, a low-cost network provider. So. And I think that's kind of what plays into it. Um, in Africa, getting access and connectivity at a lower cost is more important maybe than the security issue. Yes. Yeah. So it's kind of like a well, you need to deal with those first kind of situations. Yeah, the hits of the economy could be massive in a country in a continent yeah, like that. Yeah, and people so. are yeah, like we need to give people access. We need people to have, um, you know, devices and ability to communicate. And so the security concern is maybe a little bit lower down the list. I'm and sure. Have there been comments by other like African leaders on on a similar sort of you know similar tone to? I was actually to, looking. I was trying to find. Um, no one else has really come out as strongly. Um, as far as I could find, Nigeria, there was like a slight mention. They were also, but but very non-committal. Yeah. Um, just saying, well, Huawei's here, and you know, we Deal with give it. opportunity to all people and yeah. vendors and yeah. um, offense, which is also fair enough. I think some of them maybe don't want to speak out about it too much because obviously politically it's a tricky thing. Um, but I think they're going to make their own decisions unless there's a ban that's you know directly going to force like an Android type situation you know where people yeah everywhere all over the world won't be able to yeah. gain access to something but i, I wonder um, whether africa is so heavily reliant on huawei it kind of reinforces this point about telecom security really that at some point down the down the road you know when african countries start to think more about 5g and about using it for yeah a self-driving car let's say in 15 20 years time i don't know do you really want just one? No. Seventy you know, percent I mean, of your infrastructure is provided by a Chinese company. Yeah. And there's no African. We almost like too far down are, the road for that. There's a lot of right. stuff that's provided by Chinese companies yeah. all over Africa: roads, yeah, yeah. Um, fiber optic networks, mm. all sorts. So, um, no, I'm not saying I'm not saying it's good that they're saying security is maybe not as important as access at the moment and yeah. pricing. It's going to be a problem down the road, but yeah. uh, I just think maybe they. So a couple of sort of geopolitical things occur to me there. That that sort of heavy reliance by a lot of the continent on on sort of partnership with China or Chinese companies for things like infrastructure just makes me think of that broader Belt and Road strategic plan that China has, which if we characterize it um, not very favorably is a sort of economic imperialism um, drive i.e. how much of the world can we have so tied to us economically that, that we therefore influence them. And before before anyone thinks it, that's that's what the West's done for centuries, so I, I'm not making a moral point about it, but the Chinese seem to be quite open that that's what they want to do. they got tons of cash. You know, they're the world's, they're the world's sort of bankers in terms of, I mean, they own a hell of a lot of, like, US debt, don't they? Yeah. Uh, they got tons of yeah. cash, and they don't see, and they think it's their turn to kick some ass globally. Uh, they, they're not, thankfully, inclined to do so militarily, as far as we can tell, but they, they do want to do it economically. Um, so, so that's interesting. And then the other thing that interested me that you said, you said something about um, African countries not wanting to be sort of told what to do by the West. 
I, is this, do you think, a a sort of, um, I don't know, a sort of post-colonial... For sure. Yeah, that sort of thing. It's just like, all right, you're, you're Jamaican, yeah, like we're, now we're doing we're our own thing. Now we're going to, yeah. Yeah. Trevor Noah has a joke <clears throat> about South Africa that when, you know, the world goes one way, South Africa goes the other way. Um, also, it's a little bit of a, I don't know, So there's a bit of contrarianism. Um, yeah. Yeah, we we don't want to be controlled anymore. I feel like there is a feeling like that from a lot of African leaders. I mean, they'll obviously play nice on the world stage for to, to some, some extent, to some extent. Yeah. but then you know they also call America jealous. And, so, and presumably yeah. there isn't any kind of post-colonial hangover with respect to China. So there there might be a bit less resistance. No, but I guess I mean what you're saying is it's its own form of colonialism in a mm. way, right? So um, maybe there will be at some point. Yeah. But at the moment, I mean, so South Africa is part of BRICS. Um, so Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. And so we've always had very close ties, you know, it's with China and that whole thing yeah. just makes it stronger, the economic The whole group. large emerging economy thing. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's kind of the thing. So they're never going to stand up against China. To, I, I don't think. No. Um, but... It looks like geopolitically a lot of countries. So we take it as red. Like for the UK, I think sooner or later we're probably cave. You said that we've kicked the can down the road. Right now, Boris Johnson's got three months to sort out Brexit. Yeah, he's not really going to think about anything else. <laughs> he's got bigger until, issues, right? Yeah, so he's just going to go. Look, let's just park well, this, this for a uh, bit. That could tie into that, though, couldn't it? I suppose. Um, in what way? Well, I think the the there's obviously pressure on. Um, you know, the UK to, to exclude Huawei coming yeah. from the US. Yeah. And I think it's been suggested that if they don't sort of do oh, what I the, see. the yeah, US yeah, wants, well, then it might be difficult for them to get the sort of favourable yeah, well, totally. trade agreement they want after well, Brexit. Well, let's say, let's say we do leave on WTO terms, which is looking increasingly likely because yeah. there, there doesn't need to be any yeah. useful negotiation going on about withdrawal agreement. Then, you know, and then Trump's come over and come out with his usual, we'll give you a beautiful trade trade yeah. deal sort of stuff. And that's fine. I believe, you know, even reading between the lines of his sort of certain style of delivery, I believe he means it. But then he's also, you know, everyone's predatory. In, the UK is going to be in this position where everyone, if we're suddenly free of Europe, we'll have China clamoring yeah. for our attention. We'll have the US clamoring for our attention. We're going to be stuck in the, in the middle. Yeah. We're kind of going to have to kind of make a choice. And in a way, the Huawei decision could be a sort of barometer. It could be emblematic of that choice. It could, and it could also guide what other countries do. I mean, I think that was suggested in the House of Commons debate session about it um i mean they do seem to be leaning quite heavily at the moment um reading between the lines and listening to other comments that jeremy wright said and also talking to huawei people i think there's an expectation what might happen is is some requirement for diversification right so in the first instance that's going to mean because you've only really got ericsson nokia huawei that you have to have more than one of them in your network And, and i wonder what that means for a company like three uk for instance which is pretty much all in with Huawei on the radio access network side. I mean, they right. they used Nokia for 3G, they used Samsung for 4G, but they're shifting, it seems like they're shifting everything over to Huawei. Right. So you do wonder if they would have to, you know, if, if that is yeah. what happens and the government comes out and says, you can use Huawei, but you have to have 50% of your network built with Something another else. provider, then... You know, that's that's a company that could it could have an impact. Yeah, and on. In, in their quarterly, Huawei oh. um, was was making quite sort of bullish comments about the UK. But on the on the flip side, you know, if Boris Johnson chats to Trump and Trump goes, look, it's pretty straightforward. Do what you're told, and we'll give Get you the best trade entirely. deal ever. And then you yeah. then you can tell Europe and go and do one. Yeah, because we'll we'll do a great trade deal and, with you. But it'll be contingent on playing ball on the Huawei situation. And if they do that, then 
you know, if they do that and decide to exclude Huawei, then this diversification issue remains that yeah. you've, you then need to find some other way of getting other competition into the market because you're basically stuck with only Ericsson and Nokia. And, and this kind of tied in with the piece I wrote. That I think you're seeing fragmentation happening really at the moment across the industry. I mean, you talk to, you listen to what people like Ericsson and Nokia are saying. So I had an interview with Nokia's CFO last week when their results came out and he said, we're seeing some pressure in China at the moment. And I said, what do you mean by that? They're, they favor local vendors. There might be, a, yeah. might be a chance we have to sort of reconsider our commitment right. to the Chinese market. So you've clearly got a push in China um, coming from the government, I'm assuming, on yeah, China yeah. Mobile, China Telecom, and China Ucom, use Huawei and ZT really? more now than... I mean, they've always also, used those mainly, but... And you're also getting Huawei on the smartphone side. I just wrote up Qualcomm's results and... And Qualcomm had a fairly downbeat outlook because it's saying that Huawei is focusing much exactly. more on the Chinese yep. market now, yep. which in turn, um, and Qualcomm doesn't have much of a piece of the action with Huawei because Huawei makes its own chips yep. and modems and stuff. But all the other Oppo, Vivo, Xiaomi, all that, that lot use Qualcomm a lot. Yeah. So with, with Huawei refocusing on Chinese market, that's going to mean depressed. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, there's all sorts of sort of domino effects and all that sort of thing. But I think we're running out of a bit of time. I just wanted to sort of throw it back to you, Paula, as our special guest. <laughs> um, so I know you're South African and you're based in South Africa. Yeah. But but your beat is the whole continent. Are there any are there any other sort of countries or, or bits of the continent that you've been sort of hearing any interesting telecomsy stuff about? Yeah, I think Ethiopia is actually a really interesting one at the moment because um, it's sort of the one of the last countries that isn't open uh, right. in terms of. Uh, telecoms operators uh, they only have one operator that's most government owned I don't know if it's oh, completely government owned or mostly no it is completely I think um, and they are now opening up okay. their, their prime minister who came in last year um, is opening up all sorts of sectors so uh, aviation and banking and yeah wanting sort of private investment oh right so, so they're, they're going through like a bit what, like what happened to China about 20 or 30 years ago where they're just opening up the economy pretty much yeah and uh, so telecoms is one of the big um, pushes that they're going to sell off part of Ethiopia Telecom um, and then issue two more licenses, they right. say, in the first quarter of 2020. So um, every man and his dog wants that license. I bet. Yeah. So all the big players yeah, like on the, the continent. Of, yeah, it's like the sort of Wild West, you know, just um, greenfield business opportunities. Well, it's it? just a huge country. It's 100 million people. Is it? Yeah. And the so, economy's doing quite well. Climbing, I've been keeping That's track. Fun. Yeah. So it's, it's one of the last <clears> big, yeah. you know, um, areas where, yeah, it's... There's a lot of money to be made, I'm guessing. Well, I remember Orange talking about it at an update they did in London a few right. a few weeks ago. I think it was because Orange, is, yeah. pretty, well, Orange is pretty keen they on that. They basically said that they would, I think they. I think I'm remembering it right, that they said they'd be, they apply. They'd be keen well, they to go and they said, we either, either buy into Ethio or, or get a license. Yeah, uh, and both MTN and Vodacom have told yeah. me that too, that yeah. they're definitely yeah. right. applying. But I mean, if they're only giving two, there's a lot of other operators. Yeah, yeah. Airtel, so, I mean, I'm sure they're all... Interested. I don't know if the Ethiopian government's got any sense, they'll do an auction and just rake it in. <laughs> yeah. 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 So okay. we'll have to see, but that'll be coming. A hundred million soon, people. I never realised it was that yeah. popular. Yeah, yeah. Hundred and two million, I think. Yeah. So when I used to, you know, part of this this great big uh, forecast that I was telling you, it was eighty eight countries. Um, we didn't. I don't think. Yeah, that's. Not, how many countries are in the world? Is it like two hundred? Two hundred. Yeah. So, it, so it wouldn't yeah. we wouldn't have covered all the countries in Africa? And obviously, there's some pretty small ones. Yeah, but I mean, they're fifty-four just in Africa. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, so, so there we are. I'm trying to remember whether we broke out. I don't think we even broke out Ethiopia specifically at all. That was just in our rest of Africa. So that's interesting. I think that's why it took me by surprise that it was as populous as it is. And obviously, Nigeria is actually huge. Yeah. South Africa is. 
So that was um, only about 60 million. Right. But as right. an economy within, oh, yeah. within the region. Yeah, yeah. And then you've got some of the North African ones like Egypt are pretty big. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Kenya also. It's unbelievable, yeah. really, that a market of that size, it's quite a young population as well, Ethiopia, I'm guessing. Yeah, um, I mean, Africa in general. Not really open and not deregulated. It's You can understand I think why the companies big, the big want to get industries, in there, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, well, with all due respect to the continent, some, of, some countries are governed by some pretty crazy people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, the UK can't speak at the yes, moment. Well, yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> people in glass houses. Good point, Paula. Um, cool. Okay. Well, that's really interesting insight about Ethiopia, and I'll, I'll sort of keep an eye on it. I think we've done about an hour, and I think we might have got at least another couple of wickets in that time, as my <laughs> furtive glances at my phone <laughs> have revealed. Um, so uh, yes. So we'll so we'll wrap it up there. Thanks a lot for listening, and make sure you join us for the next one. <laughs>